Chapter Three of Blessed Edmund Campion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Blessed Edmund Campion by Louise Imogene Guiney. Chapter Three Steps Forward, Ireland, fifteen seventy one. The barn walls were in feeling both more Catholic and more Irish than the Stanhursts, and they showed Edmund Campion a no less tender hospitality. The great house was in a beautiful and remote situation. Running in and out of it was a horde of laughing children, including the eleven-year-old Janet, who was to become Richard Stanhurst's early dying wife. Campion loved the hardy knight, their father, and their lady mother, whom he calls, in very sooth, a most gentle and godly woman. Though he mingled freely with the life of the family, he was considerably given the great garret to write in and hide in. Here he began his little history. First of all, though, he sent back a grateful missive in Latin to the men who had been so providently kind to him. To the recorder, he says, was I not fortunate in such friendship and patronage as yours? How good, how generous it was of you to take in an unknown stranger and to keep him all these months on the fat of the land. You looked after my health as carefully as after Richard's, the son worthy of your love. You supplied me, too, with books, and made the best possible provision for my time of study. May I perish, if ever in this world, outside my room in Oxford, I had sweeter dealings with the muses. Up to this I have had to thank you for conveniences, but now I must thank you for my rescue, and my very breath. Yes, breath is just the word, for they who succumb to these persecutors— are wont to be thrust into dismal dungeons where they inhale filthy fogs and are cut off from wholesome air. But now through you and your children's kindness I shall live, please God, most happily. The stress laid in this affectionate letter upon the writer's appreciation of personal care, of privacy dear to students, of good diet and pure air, tells its own tale of physical delicacy. Campion was slight in build, and like many another tireless and quenchless spirit known to history, had no time really strong. He ends by asking that his St. Bernard may be sent on to him, and encloses a lively page for his friend Richard, recalling the service rendered in snatching him from danger and conveying him to Turvey House. Is it not hard, Campion breaks out, that beholden to you as I am, I have no way of showing it. Meanwhile, if these buried relics have any flavor of the old Campion, their flavor is for you, you and your brother Walter. You up that whole night through, and he summoned to us from his wife's side. Seriously, I owe you much. I have nothing to write about unless you have time and inclination for a laugh. Have you? Then hold your breath and listen. The day after I came here, as I sat down to work, into the bedroom burst a poor old soul, 
coming on what business i wot not she knew nothing of me so seeing me suddenly at her left took me for a ghost her hair rose on end she went dead white she stared aghast her jaw fell what is the matter quoth i whereupon she almost collapsed with fright not a syllable could she utter but made shift to flounce out of the room and pour into her mistress's ear how some sort of hideous spectre had appeared to her on the top floor this was repeated to me at supper they called the little old thing in and made her relate her scare we all nearly died with laughter and i was established as quite alive the book put together as was almost all campion's literary work under highly disturbing conditions is unfinished and what there is of it is sketchy and out of proportion one of its charms is its character drawing including the speeches with which after the fashion of livy campion fits the situation by putting them into the mouths of his personages he was a dramatic mind he knew both history and human nature the latter knowledge crops up everywhere in all that he wrote and spoke and did, and supplied him with no small share of his power over others. The outstanding charm of the history of Ireland is its style, crisp, arresting, bright with idiom, an idiom so noble and so much his own that one understands the almost breathless admiration with which his generation looked up to him and listened to him. But this book, like the view of the present state, written some seventeen years later by another gentle-hearted Englishman, the poet Spencer, is all wrong in its theory, that to get any footing in the modern world, the mere Irishry must be anglicized. Campion did not know the Celts, their laws, nor their literature. He never came nearer to them than through chronicles written in scorn of them, or the daily table talk, wide of the mark of the English pale. Yet according to his opportunity he loved the country and the people, and deplored that the descendants of a race of medieval scholars should be cut off from education. Afterwards he felt that his rather helter-skelter pamphlet represented limited knowledge an unformed opinion. He speaks of it as premature and wished, when he lost the manuscript, that it might perish rather than reach the public as it was. It bore a dedication to the Earl of Leicester, his singular good lord, in the hope that it might make his trouble seem neither causeless nor fruitless. Or, as he says again in plainer language, I render you my poor book as an account of my voyage. It was first printed without supervision from the author in a very muddled, unsatisfactory way by Raphael Hollinshed in 1577, then in more scholarly fashion by Sir James Ware in his Ancient Irish Histories, 1633. We all remember how useful Hollinshed's pages were to Shakespeare the twenty lines or so of the famous description of Wolsey in Act Four, Scene Two of Henry the Eighth, is taken almost word for word from what Campion had written, 
and Hollinshed had incorporated in his chronicles. Nowhere in this little book, begun and broken off at Turvey House, and purposely non-committal in its religious expressions, is there any sign that his author had already, as some have thought, returned to the church? For Parsons, his earliest biographer, whose facts concerning these years were supplied by Richard Stanhurst, says of Campion that his purity and devoutness in Ireland were marked, although he was not in the church. Father Pollen, summing up the evidence of these written pages, considers Campion near to the church, but distinctly avoiding a confession of faith. Chancellor Weston, a zealot of the most pronounced Protestant type, made a livelier pursuit after having been baffled by Campion's escape from Dublin. The latter found himself quite unable to lead any sort of orderly life, thanks to the restless hue and cry after him, and one day he recognized with a shock of horror the penalties to which he was exposing the generous friends so far unmolested, who were giving him shelter. His conscience would not allow him to come out with a flat denial of Catholic tenets or sympathies. His only alternative, after a half-year in Ireland, was flight homeward. Here once more he was aided, though they were in great sorrow at his decision, by his Anglo-Irish friends. Those dear friends, whichever after he loved most entirely, and they him. Richard Stanhurst, a private tutor to the children of the Earl of Kildare, had acquaintance with the Earl Stuart, Melchior Hussey. This man, a character by no means admirable, was about to embark at Drogheda for a visit to England, and it was arranged that Campion should be disguised to pass as his Irish servant, thus in the month of May putting himself under the special patronage of the national saint and adopting his name, Campion boarded the ship as Mr. Patrick. Officers of the law promptly appeared on the track of the quasi-papist, delaying the weighing of the anchor, annoying the crew, upsetting the cargo and questioning every passenger on deck, except the harmless-looking person who stood in a lackey's weed behind Hussey. Edmund Campion was a born actor. He put on and kept up a highly stupid expression while he was praying with might and main for St. Patrick's intercession in his great danger. He had cause to thank his new patron in heaven, although the party of searchers swooped upon his bags below deck and carried off with them the rough draft of his precious manuscript, that history of Ireland, which he was to see no more for many a year. The early summer of 1571 was ill-starred. Various startling events had joined, like tidal waves, to list the misbehaving English government up to its highest pitch of alarm. Chief of these was the bull of deposition against Queen Elizabeth, issued by the Holy See, after consultation with many temperate English advisers. John Felton, a gentleman of Southwark, posted a copy of it upon the palace gates of the Bishop of London on the morning of May 25th. 
the feast of Corpus Christi. By August, he was to pay for the bold act with his life. The Queen of Scots had newly arrived in England. London, by the time Campion reached it, was in a ferment. Nothing was to be found there but fears, suspicions, arrestings, condemnations, tortures, executions. The Queen and Council were so troubled that they could not tell whom to trust, and so fell to rigorous proceedings against all, but especially against Catholics, whom they most feared, so that Campion could not tell where to rest in England, all men being in fear and jealousy one of another. Campion had not broken his old bonds, yet nothing interested him so powerfully as the things of religion. The love of God was lying in wait for him and forced his hand. Of all possible places in London where he might have gone on the 26th or 27th of May, he chose Westminster Hall in order to attend the trial of Dr. John's story, former principal of Broadgates Hall. Pembroke College in Oxford, and that university's first Regis professor of civil law. Dr. Story was very feeble for his years, which were sixty-seven. By a wretched breach of international law, he had been trapped at Antwerp, carried away from his wife and family to England, and arraigned for having feloniously and traitorously comforted Richard Norton, his own friend the old hero of the Pilgrimage of Grace. But the real cause of his arrest and execution was a much larger matter. He was a troublesomely consistent person. He had spoken out in the House of Commons against the new liturgy in the First Parliament of Edward VI, and against the Supremacy Bill in the First Parliament of Queen Elizabeth. He had been an ecclesiastical commissioner under Queen Mary. Fox, in the famous Book of Martyrs, lies in the most reckless way about Story's part in those sordid bygone persecutions, and Hollingshead and Stripe and many another historian repeat Fox. Story was an honorable and even merciful man, but a man of his time. People were much of a piece in the sixteenth century, when it came to holding to the grindstone the nose of the unwilling. There is this to be said, however, that the Marian courts dealt out death to heretics and malcontents and candidly stopped there and were not inspired to any cruelty more subtle. Whereas good Queen Bess not only dealt out death very much more liberally, but invented a poison for all the springs of life. Her statutes terribly oppressive from the first, ended in what Burke calls the most hateful code framed since the world began, penal laws, which especially from 1585 on, struck without mercy at Catholics in their rights of worship, property, inheritance, education, travel, professions, public service, and private liberties of every kind. Another point to be noted in passing is that Queen Mary persecuted her subjects for changing their religion. 
her more ingenuous sister persecuted them for not changing it historians have not dwelt much upon the difference but to a reader with some philosophy in him it will have no little weight dr story was executed five days after his trial under even more horrible circumstances than were usual edmund campion had left england after an exceedingly short stay his standing watch in westminster hall had done more for him than many arguments and exhortations it kindled a spark in him which made him in lord falkland's phrase ready for the utmost hazard of war there was a cause to which he could run home there was a vocation to which he could climb these opened out before him as he stood in the surging indoor crowd he was animated by that blessed man's example says parsons to any danger and peril for the same faith for which the doctor died edmund campion lost no time there had been enough of that sad old game and he was thirty-one years old with three-quarters of his too brief life behind him now he was awake and had touched in the dark his heart's long patient master he set out at once for the nearest stronghold of apostolic souls the english seminary at douay in belgium end of chapter three recording by john brandon